Good morning. Our scripture for today is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he, came, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. Man, what a special Sunday. Uh, it's really cool every once in a while to kind of strip away all the instruments and everything and just focus on acoustic worship. I hope that was special for you. There's more to come. We are so grateful that you are here. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. Go ahead and grab that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we always have them available on the way into the worship space. If you want to, there's no shame. Get up and go grab one of those right now. If you're too shy to do that, find it on your phone. It'll take you about five seconds. Whatever it takes to follow along as we make our way through God's Word. I am so excited for what God has to say through His Word this morning. In fact, I'm so excited for what God has to say. I wrote this sermon twice. Now, not intentionally, but Carissa and I were in Nashville this week. We had the opportunity to go to a uh, conference with church leaders from across the country because we were out of, out of the house, out of the office. I wrote my sermon, which I never do, in a notebook, and I uh, started studying on Monday, and on the plane on Tuesday, I wrote most of my sermon. I carried it with me throughout the conference all week, and I kind of worked on it as, as in between sessions, and I wrote things from the sessions. In the last day, I'd finished my sermon. I remember telling Chris, I'm so excited because it was conference week. As the normal routine was disrupted, but I finished the sermon. I was excited for what God has to say. So I was carrying my notebook with me. I had my sermon, I had my notes, everything, and I had to use the restroom. I know it's a little too much information, but for the sake of the story, you had to know. I sat it on a chair by the restroom. I went in, and 45 seconds later, I came out, and the notebook was gone. Sermon was gone. All my conference notes were gone. I skipped the last day of sessions. I was looking everywhere for it, and I could not find it. So somewhere, some church leader is sharing my sermon with his church from Luke chapter 5, uh, and I hope it serves him well, and I hope he gets struck down by lightning. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, but that is where we are going this morning. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 5. Before we open God's Word together, I want to pray for our time together in His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the privilege it is to gather together as the people of God to sing songs of praise, to open Your Word. And Father, we pray that as we move from singing songs that make much of You to sitting under the authority of Your Word, that You would use this time together through the power of your spirit, that you convict us and compel us evermore into your presence, that we would leave this encounter with you through the power of your word, looking more like you than when we arrived. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Speak to us through his name. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. 
Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, Luke writes, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. All right, let's stop right there for just a second because there is a lot packed into these first few verses. The, the ministry of Jesus is well underway at this point. It feels like, because we are just getting in a, started in our study in the Gospel of Luke, that maybe the story of Jesus is just getting started. But at this point, uh, this teaching, at this occasion, Luke uh, has fast-forwarded a part of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is already one year, nearly one year into what would become a three-year ministry. And he has spent much of this time, a significant portion of this time on the front end of his ministry, traveling from place to place, as we've already seen, teaching, introducing the kingdom of God by teaching the people the word of God. And that's what's taking place here. He's on, he's on one specific occasion, maybe not more distinct than the next. Jesus shows up at the Lake of Gennesaret, otherwise called the Sea of Galilee, this large lake on the border of Israel that was eight miles wide at its widest point. So not so large, but not that large. And Jesus is teaching there and the people are pressing in on him. Why were the people pressing in on Jesus? Because they wanted to hear the word of God. And so what does Jesus do? He sees two, bo two boats sitting there on the seashore. The fishermen were out of their boats and they were washing their nets from a night's fishing. He gets into the boats and he continues giving the people what they came for, the word of God. And it's at this point, Jesus is just trying to separate himself from the crowds to keep himself from getting crushed by the crowds. If you know what it's like, you know what it's like to be, or well, I should say, do you remember pre-COVID what it was like to be in a large crowd? And uh, there's some people that just like love large crowds. And then there are others of us, the normal ones of us, that don't really like being crushed by the crowd. As I said, we were in Nashville this week, and we had a really encouraging conference. And so on Friday, one of my college roommates, some of our best friends, lived just a couple hours from Nashville, and they drove over to meet us. And so we went down, Carissa and I and Matt and Aaron, we went down to Broadway to scope out the country music scene. And I'd been to Nashville, for, Nashville before, and I'd been to Broadway before, but I'd never been on a Friday night. And so we got there, and I didn't really know what to expect, and it was crazy, uh, there were people everywhere, and everywhere we tried to go, the crowds were just crushing us. And uh, now they were trying, they were crushing because they wanted to hear songs and buy beer. Uh, we just wanted to hear some music, but they kind of forced us out. And I looked, and they were having a great time, and I thought it was not a good time. And I really realized what it was like for Jesus in this moment. He just needed a little bit of space. And so he got into a fishing boat to keep the crowd at a bit of a distance, and he continued to teach them. But let's not overlook the fact that the people were crushing in on Jesus, not because he was putting on a show or even performing miracles. The crowds were coming because the people wanted to hear the word of God. They were coming in on Jesus. They were overwhelming in number because they wanted to hear what God had to say to his people. They wanted to sit under Jesus' teaching and hear God's word. And I thought about that this week. As I thought about it, I was very convicted because it's so easy for us to get distracted with all the things going on in life, the busyness of life, even the good things, and shortchange our commitment to God's word. And I was praying through it because every, every week before I preach, I always prayed the Holy Spirit would convict me with what he's trying to say and compel me to live my life in his direction. And I was getting more and more convicted with even in my life and how I lead the church 
which is all about God's word, how easy it is to get sidetracked from the thing that matters most, God's word. And I find it especially uh, easy in a young mobile church to get distracted with all the other things that need to be done. Figuring out when we will meet, figuring out where we will meet, figuring out the things we need to buy to communicate more clearly, whether it's more signs or more sound stuff, or uh, hoping that we can get the things that we broke setting up and tearing down last Sunday repaired and ready for this Sunday, figuring out where we're going to park the trailer and clean the trailer, all these kinds of things that if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I will shortchange my commitment to God's word. And I have found that I will, I will push the thing that matters most to the end of the week. And the Holy Spirit over the course of the last several months has been doing a work in my heart and teaching me that the true power comes not in the place we gather or the things we put forth, but in the word of God. The true power comes when the people of God proclaim the word of God. As I was reading the story this week, I was convinced that if Jesus can preach the gospel in a way, in a compelling way to the crowd from a fishing boat that inevitably smelled like fish guts, surely the church can proclaim the good news from this cafetorium, even if sometimes it doesn't smell a lot better, Right? We showed up this morning, the A-team, at 7 a.m. to set up. We opened those doors, and we got just hit with that cafetorium smell. You can almost smell all the meals that the middle schoolers had this week and some of the middle schoolers, right? And if you want to know what that smells like, we do our best with the smell of coffee and the aroma of the church to kind of get that out of here. But if you show up at 7 a.m. and serve with us, we can not only use your help, you'll get a fresh sense of what it smells like on a Sunday morning when the middle school has been simmering all week. But that didn't matter to Jesus because regardless of where he was or what was taking place around him, he preached the gospel and the people pressed in to hear it. And it was a fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. In fact, God said through the prophet Isaiah all the way back in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus, he said this, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent. All the way back, way before Jesus, as the prophets of God were proclaiming the word of God, Isaiah was, was saying to the people, he was saying, the word of God, when it is preached, when it is proclaimed by a prophet, by a preacher, by the church in large, it does not return empty because the word of God in itself is powerful to accomplish the purpose for which God sent it first. And we have seen that firsthand as a church. We have seen God's word take people who are far from God and far from church and draw them into his presence to convict them of sin. We've got people that are convicted by their sin going war, going to war with sin every single day and getting victories by the power and the word of God. We've seen people convicted and deciding to put their faith in Jesus, to get baptized, to enter into a covenant relationship. We've seen the, the, those who were once disenfranchised from the church begin to serve the church. And maybe most excitingly of all, we've seen those who were once stagnant in their faith start to make disciples because they've experienced the power of God's word at work in their life. And when I read this from Isaiah and I look at our experience, I'm under no illusion that I could take credit for any of this that is taking place. People will often say, it's like Adam's church, Adam's Christian church, it's like you are Gro grossly mistaken, because if it was Adam's church, I don't think Carissa would come to my church, right? My own family wouldn't come. But when God is doing what God does, people are drawn into his presence. 
In the gospel that we have the privilege to preach week in and week out, I say the sermon is moderately delivered, but it is exceptionally received. Because from the time the word leaves my mouth and reaches your ears, the Holy Spirit goes to work to convict you and compel you in the presence of uh, in the direction of God. And the Apostle Paul, even, the greatest theologian and church planter of all times, reflected on his ministry to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For Jesus Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul was under no illusion that his goal, his ministry, there were people coming behind him baptizing the new believers, but his goal was to preach the gospel. And he said, I did this not with words of eloquent wisdom. I'm very grateful when I read stuff like this from the Apostle Paul because I have zero eloquent wisdom and very few words. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And what Paul is saying is that, like, I've got a very clear mandate from God. My role in the church, the way I serve the church is I preach the gospel that I have received from God. And it's not with fancy speech because the, 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 the power is not in the way I put the words together. The power is in the word of God. And then he goes on. He talks about how the church receives the word in verse 18. For the word of the cross, the message of Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through to the life he lived, that he lived a life, that he died on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb, that he was raised from the dead, and that makes a difference for you and I. That message, message, he says, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Meaning that there are people who hear that message and think, that makes no difference in my life. And they're continuing on the trajectory that they were already on, which ultimately we know leads to death. But to us who are being saved, to the church, to those who have put their faith in Jesus, who have realized that there is more here than what meets the eye, it is the power of God. And Paul says the gospel is the power of God. So it's, the, it's got the power to save us from a life of an eternity lived without Jesus. It is the power of God. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, for the word of God, uh, Paul, uh, Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, probably Paul wrote, for the word of God is living and active. It's not a textbook to be studied. It is the, the living and active word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so as we reflect on the power of the word of God, it's got the power to save the church. The word of the cross is foolishness, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It has got the power to sanctify the church, to literally knock off the rough edges of sin and selfishness of our life and draws into its presence. And if you have spent time in God's word, you know that what the Bible says about the Bible is true, that it cuts to the heart. They read the word and it's something that was written 2,000 or more years ago and you just think it seems like God is speaking directly to me. And here's the thing, over the course of the last several months as the Holy Spirit has worked through his word in my life and in yours, I think I have a renewed commitment and as a church we are committed to doing our best, to communicating constantly the message of the cross so that the crowds will be saved and the church will be sanctified. Like that was the way Jesus started and grew his ministry. He just preached the gospel and the crowds came and the church was sanctified. But my hope and my prayer is that wherever you are, whether you are a faithful Christian and you feel like you know all of God's word. I literally, when we started this church, I had a, a sweet lady come for the first few weeks and she said, preacher, and I knew she grew up in church because no one calls you preacher unless they've got a long history of doing life in the church. She said, preacher, we're really excited to see what God does through this church, but I just want to warn you, I've been a Christian for so long, there's probably nothing you can say that I haven't already heard. 
It's like, well, then you can preach this Sunday because there is a lot to that I read that I don't know. Uh, so no matter where you come from or if you're making your way to faith for the very first time, that you will tune your ear to hear what God has to say. Because the word of God is not just for the crowds. It draws the crowds. It saves people, but then it sanctifies the church, and God has something specific to say just to you. I become more and more convinced of this the longer I do life with Jesus, that the word of God draws the crowds, it sanctifies the church, but he has something specific as soon as you tune your ear to say just to you. And I think, I think if we're not careful, we can get really excited about the word of God. I mean, that's something we all agree on, right? We get really excited about the word of God and we can kind of cheer it on. But in the back of our mind, we wonder, does it really work for me? Does Jesus really have something specific to say in his word to me? And that's the direction the text goes. So Jesus is, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is traveling from place to place. He's preaching the word of God. It has tremendous power. The crowds are pressing on him. His message is popular. The people want to hear the word of God. He gets into a boat to separate himself, and he uses the boat like a pulpit, like a podium, and he preaches the gospel. But when he's done preaching to the crowd, it says this in verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, specifically to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now let's pretend for a moment that we don't know how the story ends. Maybe you don't need to pretend because you weren't listening when Lindsay gave away the end of the story. But let's pretend for a moment that we don't know how the story ends. Jesus, Simon has been fishing all day. He, he steps out of his boat after an unsuccessful day of fishing. He starts washing his nets. They haven't caught anything. Jesus literally gets into his boat. He gets into his business, and he speaks specifically to Simon. Now, Simon was a professional fisherman. I am far from a professional fisherman, but I love to fish. And I will tell you, from my experience, and perhaps yours, there is nothing more discouraging after an unsuccessful day fishing than having to make the long drive back home and clean all your gear. Because as you're cleaning, as you're washing the salt off the boat and the rods and the reels, every piece of equipment you touch and wash is a reminder that you were unsuccessful and failed that day. Do you know that feeling? And so we leave the coast, uh, the salt water where we fish, and if we've had an unsuccessful day, I pray for rain the whole way home because then it'll wash half the stuff off, right? Because I hate that reminder. Now, they say a bad, a good day, what do they say? A good day fishing is better than a bad day at work. I don't believe that, but I love what I do. So maybe that's just me. I think a bad day fishing is a bad day. If you're cleaning up after a good day fishing, it doesn't matter how many fish you have to clean. It doesn't matter how many fish guts you spill all across the table. It's just so exciting because it's, it reminds you of your success. But when you're coming back from a bad day, everything you clean is just tiring. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And it's a humbling reminder that you were unsuccessful. And I say that because there's something in this moment of humility where Simon feels like a failure that's when Jesus speaks specifically to Simon. Now, we don't have time for it, but Matthew and Mark record some events that took place before the story that Luke leaves out, and this was not Simon's first encounter with Jesus. In fact, he had heard Jesus before. He had traveled with him. He had seen the Samaritan woman already give her life to Jesus and lead a crowd of people to him. He had seen Jesus perform a few of his first miracles. He was there at the wedding feast when Jesus turned water into wine. But it is in this moment, this humble moment, where Simon hears what Jesus has to say specifically to him. 
And I wonder, because Simon had spent almost nine months traveling with Jesus and returned home, if it wasn't until this moment that Simon realized that the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus, wasn't just for the crowds, but it was also for him. And Jesus says specifically to Simon, he speaks, gets in the boat, gets in his business, speaks specifically to him and to his circumstances. In verse 4, it says, And when he had finished speaking, said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon answered, Master, acknowledges Jesus' authority and the power of his word. We've toiled all night and we took nothing. We, it's like, did you not realize we were, emptying, we were emptying our nets? We weren't on our way to market with a bucket full of fish. We were unsuccessful. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And so before Peter pushes, before Peter, Simon Peter, pushes the boats back from the shore, he pushes back a little. It's almost like he's saying to Jesus, who he's heard preach many times, Jesus, you can preach pretty well. You speak, you speak, have a lot to say about religion and righteousness, but this fishing thing, this is my realm. I'm a professional fisherman. I'm the son of a fisherman. I've spent my life building a fishing business. In fact, if you look around in my out, outfit, a few different boats, I've had some success. But because you say so, but because your word, I will do what you have to say. I'll push out and let down the boats. And Jesus gets in Simon's boat. He gets in his business. He has something specific to say. And it might not make sense in the moment, but the word of God is going to work in his life. Jesus gets in the boat. Simon pushes out. In verse 6, it says, When they had done this, they obeyed Jesus. They let down the nets. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They weren't even prepared for all that Jesus was about to provide. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came out and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. They caught so many fish, Jesus exceeded every expectation. You might even say that he accomplished immeasurably more than Simon could have asked or imagined. How was Jesus able to perform such an incredible feat in Simon's life? It's because Simon tuned his ear to listen, and then he was faithful to obey. And as we look through Scripture, we see time after time God blesses obedience. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Simon Peter, God blesses obedience. My question to you, where we kind of land this plane 2,000 years later, is what is God saying to you today? No, seriously, like, think about that. Like, no, that's not a brush it under the rug question. It's not a rhetorical question. Think about, right, turn, flip your guide over, right on the back. What have you heard the Holy Spirit say to you today? What have you said this week? Or if you're honest, have you, have you been humble enough to hear what he's got to say specifically to you? Or have you been too busy going about your business? Have you, have you tuned your ear to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you? Because the, the word isn't just for the crowds. It is for the crowds. It's what we're building our church upon. But that God has so much more to say than what he just says on Sunday. And the next question is, is there a part of your life that you feel like you know more than Jesus? Now, I know you would never say, well, like, is there? I mean, you would never raise your hand, right? You would never say that, especially in this context, in the context of the church. But by the way you live your life, is there a part of your life that, like Simon, you say, Jesus, like, you have a lot to say about religion and righteousness, but this is my realm. Like, this is what I do. This is what I prepared for. This is what I studied for. And you could fill in the blank with anything. I mean, and not to pick on anyone in particular, but like, you say, like, Jesus, you have a lot to say about religion and righteousness, but I can figure out relationships on my own. Like, I am really good about relationships, and I can find a relationship, and I can sustain a relationship. I can deal with things like forgiveness in relationship all on my own. And Jesus, you can have my life, and I'll, I'll let you do the sin thing and the, re- the religion thing and the righteousness thing, but relationships I handle. Like, Jesus, like, you, you are um, 
really good at all of these things, but like the sex part, like that's what I'll handle. Like, you know, I know what you have to say, but I think I know a better way. Or maybe it's just something like fun and however that plays out. Like I'm going to go down on Broadway, not me, a lot of other people, Broadway on, on uh, Friday night and, and spend the whole time drinking and think that's fun. I know you have a lot to say about life, but I'm going to handle fun my way. Or finances, right? Like, God, I know you have a lot to say about a lot of things, but the finances, like, that's where I'm a professional. Like, I know I can handle. You say to give 10%, but I can do more with 100% than I can with 90. That's how the math works, and, and we try to hold back. Here's the thing. If I'm not careful, the part of my life where I find myself as a professional is in this setting, like church. This is what I went to school for. I grew up in church, really good churches. I spent a lot of time with God in his word. I went to school to study how to run a church, and sometimes I have to have these moments where I realize that I am in my life, by the way I'm living my life, spending more time thinking about strategy than studying what the Holy Spirit has to say, that I'm saying, Jesus, you're really good at all of these things, but church, I can handle. And the truth is, we all know that I can't. What is that part of your life? And then the next question is, how is it working for you? Like, if you are honest, like, you've, got, you've given Jesus your whole life, or you've given him part of your life, but there's this one part, this one part that you're holding on to, relationships and fun and finances and church or small groups, community relationships, whatever it is, and you're saying you can do it better. And you might even have signs of, some signs of success. You've accumulated a crew and a couple of fishing boats, but if you were honest, how is it really working? And then what would it look like if, like Simon, you said, Lord, I've fished all night. I've tried relationships my way. Lord, I've fished all night. I've tried finances my way. Lord, I've fished all night. I've tried to approach church my way. Fished all night. I've tried to do fun my way. But at your word, I will do what you say. I, one of my convictions is the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me, and I've shared this with Nick and some spiritual leaders in my life, is I spent a lot of time sharing information. I love talking about who God is and studying his word. But we have to think about what is the implication of that word. And here's where the challenge to you, I'm going to challenge you as the Holy Spirit has challenged me, like this week, whether you're really faithful in your time with Jesus or that's a foreign concept, carve out some time and spend with Jesus and hear what is he trying to say specifically to you. Now find whatever time works, but I suggest the morning. It's what Jesus did. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for you. Spend some time this week, quiet time, humble time, open his word, and don't just look for information. Look for the implication. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, Jesus is by the lake of Gennesar. And you look down the study notes in your Bible, that was eight feet wide by 14 feet. Like, that doesn't move the needle. What is it that the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you? Jesus has one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bibles, John chapter 10, verse 27. It's one of my favorites because I share it every other week. But Jesus has a crowd gathered around him. He says, those who follow me, the real disciples, the people who pattern their life after me, they are like sheep, which is not a compliment, but that's another sermon for another day. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. He's saying, I know them personally. I know them intimately. I have something specific today to say to their circumstances, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They, they, they don't hear the audible voice of God, but they open my word and the Holy Spirit and the, whole, and the Holy Word work together, and they just speak directly to me. I have something to say specifically to them, and they follow me. What is God trying to say to you? And if you can't answer that question, you're in good company. A lot of us struggle sometimes to be consistent with our time with God, myself first and foremost. But go ahead on the back of your worship guide this week, and it says lean in. It's got some of the scripture. How's the Holy Spirit speaking through his word? And it says take action. Write down a time 
like right now, before you leave, when you're going to spend time with Jesus. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, every morning. And then there's a part down at the bottom that says expect miracles. What are the things that God starts to say just to you? What's it going to look like if he fills the nets of your life with exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine? Now, I'm never going to preach a prosperity sermon, right? Like, Lord, the goal isn't to go to Jesus to see what we can get from Jesus, but to get Jesus. And that is, he is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And I'm going to be praying for you every morning. 5 a.m. in my prayer time this week, praying for you that the Holy Spirit would move in a new and significant way. And I'm anxious to hear next week what he says. And finally, heaven depends on it. Heaven depends on it. Not just for you, but like you don't have a relationship with Jesus if you don't spend time in a relationship with Jesus. But heaven depends on it for those around you. Look what happens next. They catch all of these fish. In verse 8, it says this. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we don't have time, but something special happens in this moment, something more than meets the eye. When Simon realizes who Jesus is, or at least in part, even though he doesn't have Jesus all the way figured out, he is certain that his sin and his shame and his past separates him from all of God's goodness. And so he falls at Jesus' feet, he confesses his sin, and he just asks Jesus to leave him alone. But Jesus doesn't leave Simon in his sin. He forgives his sin, and then he invites him and even instructs him to follow him. And it's just a beautiful picture because Simon realizes, man, I am in the presence of a holy God. He is doing immeasurably more. He has blessed my life, but I do not deserve this. And so his, his worldly answer is just, Jesus, just leave me alone. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. I do not deserve this. And Jesus doesn't leave Simon in his sin. He invites him to follow him. And in fact, Matthew and Mark, the other, two of the other three gospels, they tell this story. And in both of their accounts, Jesus turns to Simon Peter. In response, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He invites Peter to follow him. And he's going to change the trajectory of his, his life. Luke kind of just cuts to the chase. And he just says, don't be afraid. Uh, from now on, you're going to catch men. Which you have to read between the lines and understand that's not kind of creepy thing. He's using the same illustration about fishing, right? But it's one of those things that's kind of an invitation. But you all know that feeling when an invitation is really just instruction. Like when Carissa is doing dishes and she's cleaning up after dinner. And she says, hey, honey, do you want to come take out the trash? Like, it sounds like an invitation, but it's not an invitation, as it is an instruction. It means it's overflowing. What are you doing? Take out the trash. It's like if a law enforcement officer says, hey, man, do you want to go for a ride in the back of my car? It sounds like an invitation. That's never happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. Not an invitation. It's instruction, right? That's kind of what Jesus is going here. It's what Luke communicates, the gist of the story. There's an invitation, follow me. But, but what Jesus is saying to Simon, he says, you have spent your life fishing uh, in the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. You've been catching fish, and you've been pretty successful. You've got a couple, got a crew and a couple boats. But from this point forward, if you accept this invitation, this instruction to leave your nets and follow me, you will start catching men and you will make a difference from now to eternity. You can catch fish and feed a few men for a few days, but you can catch men for the kingdom of God and change the trajectory of heaven. And so is the call of every disciple of Jesus that we would leave our comfort, our convenience, our plan for life and follow Jesus. I love how he says it to Simon in a specific way that Simon can understand. Simon was a fisherman. Leave your nets, come follow me, and you will catch men. Now, if you are a vegetarian, God bless you. If you're trying out veganism for the first time, and this whole thing, just this fishing illustration falls flat, uh, you are not off the hook. In fact, Jesus says to all of his disciples in John chapter 4, hear this. He says this. He says, do you not say... 
there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. So he's using it to a different audience, an agricultural illustration. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And he's using this story. He's taking their attention to the time of the year when all of the grain is ready to be harvested. He says, look at the people. The, the field is white for harvest. He's play on words. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. What he's saying is whether the illustration that connects us to you is the story of uh, being fishers of men or a farmer harvesting the fields ripe for harvest. When we go to work to make disciples, it produces fruit for eternal life. Catch a few fish and a few men for a few days or gather some grain and you know, fill some stomachs. But when we go to work to make disciples, it changes not only the trajectory of our life, but the trajectory of eternity for those who are far from God. And the final thing I want to say is that this is what you were created for. Like there's this culture that tells us we should come to church, that we should sit, we should sing a few songs, we should sit and listen to a few sermons, even if it runs late on a pretty Sunday. But God says you were created for so much more than that. And when you see the word of God go to work in your life, you can't help but go to work to point people to the glory of God. The question is, where are you catching men? Where are you harvesting the fields? Where are you making disciples? If you find yourself content coming to church, listening to a sermon and going home, the needle barely moves, you are missing out on the fullness of what life, of the life that God has for us. Inevitably, we might ask the question, where in the world am I supposed to start? I haven't encountered Jesus face to face. You literally start by encountering him in his word. My sheep hear my voice. They hear, I know them. I have something specific to say to the circumstances of their life, and they follow me. We end with verse 11. He says this. He says, but he answered them, the man, uh, I'm in the wrong gospel. Hold on a second. This did not make any sense. Something about a healing. All right, here's verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they, Simon and Peter and James and John, Simon, Peter, Simon and Peter, Simon, Peter, James and John, they left everything and followed him. They were astonished at the work that God had done in his life. It literally starts with following Jesus, to spend time in his word, to make disciples. And I just want to be very clear, as the Holy Spirit has been clear with me, like we love celebrating together as a church on Sunday. God speaks to the crowd. He draws the crowd. He sanctifies, he saves the crowd. He sanctifies the church. But he speaks specifically to each and every one of us and invites us, even instructs us to follow him. And in the circumstances of our life, the, the surrounding, uh, the people that surround us daily, they are our mission field. They are the ones that we are supposed to catch into the kingdom of God to just point them to the work that God has done in our life, that God has done immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Let me just tell you a little bit about a God who loves you more than you know. The word of God, like, what do I say? Just tell them about Jesus. Like the gospel message, it, the power is not rest with you. It rests with the word of God. The work of the church, we say, is the church at work. You don't, the, the old teaching of this I remember growing up is that everyone who follows Jesus is supposed to quit their job like Simon Peter, leave the nets and follow Jesus. If you do that, we will quickly run out of money. We will not be a well-resourced church, right? The work of the church is the church at work. But what we do set aside is our comfort, our convenience, our plan, the control for our life. And we just say, the life I have I will live following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. 
It is only by the power of Jesus through his word that we are able to understand who you are and the purpose you have for us. And Father, my prayer right now for myself and for our church is simple, that we would experience you in a fresh new way in your word today. As the word settles in and the Holy Spirit goes to work, that you would convict us. Lord, if there is a part of our life that we are holding on to, that we are reluctant to release to you, Lord, you would, you would overwhelmingly convict us, make us uncomfortable, understanding that you know the details of our life and you plan the finer points of our life better than we could ever begin to plan for ourselves. Lord, if there is someone here who has not yet trusted you with salvation, that they would hear this gospel message, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 500th time, and today would be the day they stop at the next step station to say, that's not me, but I want it to be. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And Lord, for the church, that we would not become complacent or comfortable coming week in and week out, setting up and tearing down, but we would view our world as a mission field and that we would start to go to work to make disciples, pointing people to the word of God and the work of God in our life. And Father, we pray that starting today, you will use us as missionaries on the east side of Orlando so you can transform the spiritual landscape of a city who desperately needs to hear the power of the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.